Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Let's read together, shall we? When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Now, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching today. And I pray that from the very beginning of this message, that faith will begin to rise in our hearts. And that at the end, we will respond. And you will then touch your people in response to our faith. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. That you will draw them to a place of repentance. And I especially pray, O oh Lord for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask that you will draw them back so that not one of them will be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. How long is 12 years? In many ways, that depends on what has happened during those 12 years. If you welcomed a new baby girl into your hearts and home 12 years ago, then the time seems like only yesterday. From the moment you first held her in your arms, to hearing her first garbled words, watching her take her first faltering steps, first day of school, first lost tooth, the time spent learning how to ride a two-wheeler, the first night she spent away from home, those are fleeting moments in your treasure house of happy, precious memories. Twelve years, in that case, seems to have flown by. Your little girl now stands on the threshold of womanhood. However, if you discovered you had some dreaded disease 12 years ago, the picture is entirely different. Those 12 years have meant tests and more tests, countless visits to countless doctors and specialists, lots of theories and experimentation, but no cure. No sooner do you seem to recover from one major operation than you have to prep for another. 
If that's been your lot, those 12 years have meant the end of normal family life, the end of work, the end of shopping, the end of travel. If those 12 years have meant pain and suffering and fear and the threat of death at every turn, then every minute has seemed interminable. Every day has seemed endless, and those 12 years have felt like an eternity. How long is 12 years? In chapter 5 of his gospel, Mark writes an account of two people in which both of those scenarios are overlaid. There's a 12-year-old girl, the delight of her father's heart, who has suddenly become ill and is dying. And there is a woman who has been struggling with an illness for 12 years and has now deteriorated to the place where she is also dying. The woman has been sick as long as the girl has been alive. Here are two generations. The woman represents the past and the present. The girl represents the future. Past, present, and future are being stolen by the enemy of death. As the story unfolds, I want to first of all show you the cry. At the beginning of chapter 5, the Bible tells about how Jesus brought deliverance to a demonized man in the country of the Gadarenes, an area we know today as the Golan Heights. When the demons were driven from the man, you remember the story, they entered a a herd of pigs, and those pigs went crazy and ran into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. When the people saw the delivered man, the people of the town saw the delivered man and the drowned pigs, they became frightened and they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. So Jesus got back in the boat, returned to the other side of the sea, probably to the town of Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. There was a crowd of people who welcomed him, and in that crowd came a man named Jairus. Jairus was an official of the synagogue. He wasn't the teacher, but rather was one who was responsible for the maintenance and the repair and the organizing of the synagogue. As the synagogue ruler, he was one of the top men in town. He held a very prestigious position. He was no doubt a wealthy man. Well, this man came to Jesus, fell at his feet, and began to plead with him to come to his house because his 12-year-old daughter had become deathly ill. Twelve years of joy have turned into anguish. The happy sunshine days were over. The dream was turning into a nightmare. His only child, his precious little girl, is dying. This is a desperate man. In response to the cry of this desperate father, Jesus turns and heads toward the man's house. Now, if I'm Jairus and Jesus has agreed to come to my house and heal my dying daughter, I'm going to do everything I can to clear the way and get him there as quickly as possible. I mean, I would have cleared the streets. I would have gotten a police escort with lights flashing and sirens blaring. Well, you know that isn't what happened. Instead, I want you to not only show you the cry, but I also want to show you the crush. Because verse 24 says, a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. 
In that crowd is a woman doing everything she can to not call attention to herself while slowly, carefully, painfully pressing her way to Jesus. If the past 12 years had been sunshine and song in the house of Jairus, these past years had been darkness and dirge for this lady. She had some undisclosed uterine disease that caused constant bleeding. Not only must she put up with the horrible physical inconvenience of such a disease, but she must also contend with being a social outcast. Because she had an issue of blood, she was considered ceremonially unclean and couldn't mix with other people. She couldn't attend worship at the synagogue. She was shunned by everyone around her because if they even touched her, they too would be considered unclean. Now, the Talmud recorded 11 possible cures for this ailment. Evidently, she had tried them all. Mark says in verse 26 that she had spent all her resources on physicians, and they had been unable to help her. She had gone from doctor to doctor. She had checked into every clinic available. If you could have viewed the shelves in her bathroom, you would have found all kinds of medication. The only thing she had to show for all those consults and treatments and prescriptions was an empty bank account. For 12 years, she's ostracized from her family. She's cut off from society. She's run out of resources. She's exhausted every avenue. Nothing has helped. She's only getting worse with each passing day. When she hears that Jesus is passing that way, she determines to try one more thing. With her last ounce of strength, she pushes her way through the crowd, being careful not to be noticed or recognized. And according to verse 28, she thought... If I just touch his garments, I will get well. Luke records this story in his gospel and says in verse 44 of chapter 8 of his gospel that she touched the fringe of his cloak. Now, let me kind of illustrate a little bit for you what that is all about. In ancient Israel, men wore four-cornered outer tunics with tassels tied to the four corners. This outer garment became known as a tallit. And eventually, this tallit that they wore evolved into the more formal prayer shawl that you see a lot of Jews wearing today as they pray. On the tallit, there were tassels on each of the four corners. These tassels were to remind each Jewish man of his responsibility to fulfill God's commandments. These tassels are tied into 613 knots to constantly remind them of the 613 laws of Moses, of which there are 365 prohibitions, the thou shalt not laws, and 248 affirmations, the thou shall laws. When Jewish men pray... They will put these prayer shawls over their heads to shut out the world and be in the presence of God. Some scholars say that this is what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 6 and 6 when he said to go into the closet and pray in secret. Praying with the prayer shawl over your head is like having your own personal prayer closet. Now this garment and its tassels stood for the authority and the power of the word of God. The woman 
had heard that Jesus taught with authority when he spoke. People were healed. These tassels represented that authority and power of the word made flesh. There's one more verse that helps bring understanding to the tassels of the tallit that Jesus was wearing. The prophet spoke in Malachi 4.2 and said, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The Hebrew word for wings is a word that specifically means the fringe-like feathers or edges of a bird's wings. The word, therefore, had two meanings and could be translated wings or feathers. Being under the talit is a reminder to stay under the wings of the Almighty because God is the protector and the provider. And it just could be that this woman was remembering that messianic promise of Malachi when she thought to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Why? There's healing in his wings. There's strength in his wings. There's provision in his wings. There's protection in his wings. He doesn't have to say anything to me. He doesn't have to lay his hands on me. If I can just touch his wings, I'll be healed. Regardless of her thought processes, this one thing we know. We know that she managed to press through the crowd slowly, carefully, and pull on the tassels at the bottom of Jesus' robe. Now, there wasn't any power in the garment. There was no magic potion released through those tassels. But the tassels became a point of contact for the woman to release her faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus perceived that someone had touched him with the touch of faith and had tapped into his healing power. And so he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my garments? Things got real quiet real fast. Everybody thought he'd lost his mind. I mean, after all, there's this great crowd of people jostling, jostling and pressing against him from all sides. Jesus, however, recognized this wasn't an incidental touch. This wasn't an accidental touch. This was an intentional touch. This was a touch of faith. This was a touch with purpose. With that touch of faith, healing virtue was released. Now, interestingly, Jesus turns, and when she finally comes out from the crowd, he addresses her in verse 34 as daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus used this term. Although this woman had been excommunicated from the synagogue and from worship, she was now adopted into the family of God. Although her illness had led her to being divorced from her husband, she was now taken to the heart of God. Although her condition had caused her to be ostracized from society, she was now inducted into heaven's society. Daughter, 
Jesus stopped everything to call this woman out and let her know that she wasn't an interruption. She was important and valuable to Jesus. She mattered. And I just feel like Jesus wants to say the same thing to somebody that's listening to this message right now. He wants you to know that you matter. You're important to him. He has time for you. You're not an inconvenience. You're not an interruption. He's never too busy to give attention to your cry for help. Well, that's all well and good. But what got this whole thing started was a father's desperate plea for healing for his daughter. And I just got to tell you, if I'm Jairus at this point, while Jesus is spending time with this woman, I'm standing on the side fidgeting with impatience. I'm frustrated by the delay. It's bad enough we had to wade through this throng of people. But now the whole processional has stopped while Jesus talks to one little woman. I mean, couldn't he wait until after he took care of my daughter? After all, this woman's been in this condition for 12 years. Surely one more hour, even one more day, isn't going to matter all that much. Sure, she has a chronic condition, but my daughter is critical. How many of you know it's tough to watch as Jesus helps another person and leaves you hanging? Come on. I mean, you were, you were in line first, but now he stopped working on your problem while he's tending to the needs of somebody else. And you need to know today that God's timetable is never the same as yours. Jesus will not be hurried. He knows things you don't know. He is always at work in your life for his glory and your ultimate good and not for your present comfort and lack of problems. Well, sure enough, the worst fears of Jairus are realized in verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Come on home, Jairus. It's too late for the teacher. I'm often annoyed when I hear the way some people try to address the problems of our world today. They seem to think that all that is needed is more and better education. You hear the cry all the time, we need more money for education. We need better education programs. More training is all we need to solve the ills of this world. And I want to tell you today that the problems of this world are too horrendous to be solved by education. I believe in education. I thank God for it. But as much as I believe in solid Bible preaching, better preaching will not solve the problems of this world. We aren't going to reach this world with education. You can't solve the drug problem or the alcohol problem or the racial problem or the moral problem or the immigration problem, or the abortion problem, or the pandemic problem. You can't solve any of those problems with more education. The problem isn't that we're too dumb. The problem is we're too weak. We need more than a teacher. We need a supernatural savior. We need the son of God. Oh, it may be too late for the teacher, but it's never too late for the Son of God. When Jesus hears the report that the daughter has died, he calmly reassures the father and says, 
Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. See, Jairus has a choice. Believe his friends, take their advice, and not bother the teacher anymore, or trust Jesus and his advice. Don't be afraid, just believe. And what Jesus literally is saying is, go on believing. Don't quit. Keep on believing. You came to me in the first place because you believed I could heal your daughter. Well, I haven't changed just because we got a different report. So keep believing in me. I've shown you the cry and the crush. Now at the end of this story, I want to also show you the call. When Jesus arrives at the house, the professional mourners were already on the scene. The custom seems strange to us today, but in the time of Jesus, these people were a normal part of Palestinian life. No one would think of putting their loved one to rest without hiring mourners. And and in fact, the profession of being a mourner was passed on from mother to daughter through generations. And just like we send flowers today, so they packed the funeral chapel with weepers. The more money you had, the more weepers you got. And the scene, as Jesus comes up, all this is going on. The scene is sheer pandemonium. People are tearing their clothes. And by the way, there were actually 39 different rules and regulations for how to do this when you're mourning. There was a wailing for the dead by the professional mourners. There were flute players. The music of the flute was especially associated with death. Even the very poorest had to have two flutes and one wailing woman. So you can imagine how many were present for this wealthy, influential man. This house contained all the noise and chaos of Middle Eastern grief. And into that hysterical atmosphere comes Jesus saying, Why all this commotion and weeping? Why all the wailing? The child isn't dead, she's asleep. Well, instantly the mood changed from mourning to mocking. Now understand, these people are professionals. They know dead when they see it. But Jesus is letting them know that death is of no more consequence to him than somebody being asleep. So Jesus removes the professional mourners from the room. He doesn't want anybody there who refuses to see beyond the problem to the possibilities. He doesn't want anybody around to cast doubt and unbelief on what he's about to do. And he walks over to the child, takes her by the hand, and gently speaks to her in her native Aramaic and says, Talitha kum. Now, there are various ways of translating this phrase. But Jesus was basically saying what her mother had said a thousand times before over the past 12 years. Just gently speaking to her. In her native language. Notice Jesus didn't panic. He didn't roll up his sleeves, wave his coat over the little girl. He didn't recite any great incantation. He didn't offer up long intercession. He didn't engage in any revved up high volume prayer. I did that last service and scared about five people. <laughs> Some of y'all just jumped too. And I can only do that about twice in one Sunday and then strip the voice out and I'm done, you know. He didn't do any of that. No, 
the voice that called cosmos out of chaos brought life back to the girl when Jesus simply went over to her, took her by the hand and said, sweetheart, it's time to get up. That's all he said. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. The woman had faith to touch the hem of his garment. Jairus had faith to keep believing in the face of seemingly impossible odds. Both of them received a miracle in response to their faith. And I want to finish up this message by telling you that Jesus is still in the miracle business. Jesus still responds to faith. When Jesus passes by, just reach out and touch him. I want to tell you, he has time for you. You're not an inconvenience. You're not an interruption. When you touch him, watch this. Jesus will redeem your past. Jesus will restore your present. And when it seems like your dreams are shattered and hope is lost and destiny is dead, just as he spoke to that little girl, Jesus will resurrect your future. Somebody needs to hear the Lord saying to you today, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. I don't care if everybody else has given up on you. It's time to get up. I don't care if nobody else believes in you or if everybody else mocks and ridicules your vision and discounts your plan. Stop wailing. It's time to get up. Jesus will redeem your past. Jesus will restore your present. Jesus will resurrect your future. This is the word of the Lord to you today. Now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for those who have a need of a touch from Jesus today. We're going to do it in a little different way. Just before we do, just before we give you an opportunity for prayer ministry, I've asked Pastor Larry to lead a song. It's a particular song that I wanted him to do. And as you join with him in worship, I'm praying that faith will rise in your heart. Faith to believe for and to receive the miracle the Lord has for you today. I just want somebody to make a, a, a declaration of faith before he sings right now. I want you to just kind of tap yourself on the shoulder and say, Jesus has a miracle for me. Make a declaration of faith today. Jesus, he's still a miracle worker. Jesus has a miracle for me. Pastor Larry, sing that song, please. This is a house of worship. This is a place of praise. Where every demon trembles. Where we proclaim your name This is a house of healing Our hearts are full of faith You have our full attention you have the final say so come alive in the name of jesus come alive in the name of jesus this is a house of miracles we bring everything to the feet of jesus 
everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. There's resurrection power. Your blood runs through our veins. Your kingdom triumphs over. Even the coldest grave. So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. I still believe you're working. All things for good. I'll fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working. All things for good. Oh, I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. I still believe you're working. All things for good. I'll fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working all things for good. So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. I still believe he's moving. I believe he's here in this house right now and he's passing by. I've asked our elders to come and help me with this. So if they would come right now, please. Here's what we're going to do. There is no...